Hello and welcome to Parently, where we tap into the unique experiences and perspectives of parents to celebrate the joys and honor the challenges of child rearing. With new interviews each week, this is a podcast for moms and dads seeking an empowering community and a little levity. Now here's your host, Kelsey Higgins. Hello and welcome to Parently. You all have been asking for some more father perspectives, so today I am delivering on that, and I am excited to welcome Nick Zerwas to the show today. Nick, thanks for joining. Good morning. How are you doing? Awesome. I'm excited to have you on. Your reputation precedes you in a good way, I promise. (laughs) That's The girls ganged up on me. You you had some ladies in your life who uh, encouraged you to to do this podcast. So is this out of your comfort zone, or are you feeling feeling like you're into it? No, I did. I actually did a morning show, a radio show for seven years. Um, Whoa! Look at you, well, fancy. Believe it or not, with this voice, um, <laughs> I, I did radio for seven years uh, every Friday on a AM station in Minneapolis. So. No, I'm somehow I'm used to this. That's super cool. Okay, we're going to get in that. We actually we have a lot of interesting things to talk about today from your health to your family to your career. So, let's start with some history. Where did you grow up? What was your childhood like? Yeah, so I live in Elk River, Minnesota, and I was born here and raised here. Um third third son, it was the third boy. Parents really, really wanted a girl and ended up with me. <laughs> and and uh, so I have two older brothers. My dad was the police chief uh, here in Elk River uh, for 27 years. And uh, he and my mom are retired now. And yeah, so I grew up here in Elk River. It's interesting. Uh, both my brothers are six foot two, six foot, and were big athletes. Um, I was born with a a pretty significant heart defect. Mm. And so I had a three-chambered heart instead of four and um, grew up. I was, they told my my parents that I would not live to be past seven years old. Oh my gosh. And so... Um, when I was seven, I had my third open heart surgery, um, which was an experimental surgery. I was the second child in Minnesota to have what they call the Fontan uh, procedure, where they redirect the blood flow in your heart. And I was the first child uh, to survive that surgery. Wow. Uh, during that surgery, is uh, they moved... They had to move the lungs out of the way to get to the heart. And in doing that, they hit a socket of nerves in my chest. And that paralyzed my right vocal cord. Mm. Um, so that's why I sound as sexy as I do. <laughs> and, uh, but I've had 10 open heart surgeries all, all together now. Um, wow. through, through kind of growing up in Elk River. Um, we've been told six different times 
that I had less than six months left to live. Oh my gosh. Um, and yeah, they were wrong every time. Meg, I know this is about you, but I cannot like listen to that and not think about your parents. Oh my gosh. I just well, can't imagine that. So and my, my parents are incredible people. Um, when I was 15, I spent, um, I spent five and a half months in um, Abbott Northwestern Hospital in Minneapolis, um, where I was on a heart transplant waiting list. And I was in the ICU for five and a half months. And my mom never left the hospital. Oh. Ever. Um, she moved in with me. She slept on a cot uh, next to my hospital bed. My dad, um, he was still the police chief in Elk River. They uh, forwarded his telephone and he used a fax machine from the ICU. And he worked out of my hospital room for oh for five months. Um, he drove down every morning and went home every night, took care of my brothers and came back the next morning every day for five and a half months. That's incredible. So you were on, you were waiting for a heart transplant. Did you get a heart transplant? Nope. They, they, we did chemotherapy and a ton of my, my immune system because of the different heart surgeries and the blood transfusions. And they, at one point when I was uh, seven, they rebuilt part of my heart with a pig aorta. Um, so my immune system was kind of hyperactivated. And so it couldn't, there wasn't a heart they could find that my body wasn't going to reject. Oh. And so <clears throat> at 15, they said, you're, you're not going to get a heart transplant. There's nothing we can do. You need to go home, uh, live the last few months at home and make the most of the rest of your childhood. And I went back to school. I picked, I was in ninth grade. I picked study hall and English as the two classes I would go back for. <laughs> mm, good, good, good selection there. I like where your head's at. I read To Kill a Mockingbird. I did my part. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, the, the, it's interesting, the last day of ninth grade, uh, my best friend in the whole wide world, uh, Ryan Ebert, was sitting next to me and looking through our yearbooks on the last day of ninth grade. And he starts crying. And I'm like, what, what's going on, dude? And he said, the last page. And I turned to the last page of my ninth grade yearbook it's a full page picture of me. It says in memoriam. Oh my gosh. Stop <laughs> it. Yeah, I felt like uh, on Monty Python, you know, bring out your dead. Oh. I'm not quite dead yet. <laughs> oh my gosh. Who was the copy editor? Let's get their number. So, yeah. So I signed everyone's yearbook that year on that page. I was like, <laughs> I was like no, not dead yet. That is wild. That is really heavy stuff for a 15-year-old. What, yeah. what was that like? Well, you mean, it, that that year of my life, I think, um, quite frankly, forever changed my life. Mm. Um, I was 15 years old 
and I had the three uh, speakers at my funeral picked out. I had the songs picked out. Um, I had the pallbearers picked out. We we did the program. Um, I knew um, that I was going to die. And, <clears throat> you know, then one day, mid-summer, 1996, um, we went back down to the cardiologist's office and Dr. Uh, Stone, my cardiologist, and Dr. Nikoloff, my heart surgeon, said, hey, we want to try this surgery. We want to take out the enlarged right side of your heart and replace it with the pericardium, the sac that goes around a cow's heart. And I laughed. I said, that's never going to work. <laughs> and, and Dr. Nikoloff said, well, it might. It might work. And he goes, you know, Nick, I don't think I can save you. The, the heart failure is so significant. I don't think I can save you. But if I do this surgery and I get a practice run, I know I can save the next 15-year-old boy. And so we did the surgery, and for me, I said goodbye to everybody. Yeah, you you literally went into that surgery thinking you weren't going to come back. Yeah, yep. Oh, my gosh. That and then was... I woke up, and I was like, oh, crap, I lived. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine what that would be like. Oh, wow. I, and was... your parents, again, your parents? Yes. The, the crazy thing is, is I went from that to three weeks later, I started high school and just, you know, like, okay, go back to life, go back to being a teenager. And um, for me, a ton of that stress and trauma and just life, um, I didn't really deal with for almost a decade. Mm. Um, you know, you just kind of immediately went past it and went back to school. And next thing you know, you're picking out colleges and you just kind of go on with your life. And it was, um, it was something that, that we didn't really address mm -hmm. um, for, for many years. Um, you know, quite frankly, to the detriment. Mm-hmm. Trauma has a way of manifesting itself again when when it has not been dealt with like that. So what did that look like in your life a decade later? Yeah, so um, I met 14 people when I was on the heart transplant waiting list um, that kind of all, um, a couple of people passed away while they were waiting for hearts. Otherwise, they got heart transplants. Um, and a decade later, my kind of closest friend of that group was Molly. Molly was in college, um, went in for uh, a heart surgery. She had a heart defect mm. similar to mine um, and had uh, significant complications during the surgery, cardiac arrest, and um, went back to the ICU, didn't complete the surgery and Molly had about, they said two to three days 
left to live. And, um, and so we said, okay, we need to all pray for a heart so that Molly can get uh, a heart. She was in the hospital room next to me. And the transplant coordinator said, well, Nick, we need to pray for two hearts because the first O heart that comes available will go to you. And then we need a second one for Molly. Mm. And I said, well, what, 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 why, what, what does that mean? They said, well, you've been in the hospital for four months already. So you're higher up on the transplant list. You're the number one person on the list. So the first heart will go to you. And then the second one would go to Molly. And I said, well, I'm going to live longer than three days. Mm. They said, well, yeah, we think so. Um, and so it was kind of an interesting time. Um, they sent like, there's a hospital ethicist <laughs> that they sent down and a big thing. But I was 15 years old and I said, nope, I can't do it. I will never, ever live with myself knowing this. And so I, I took myself off the transplant list. Oh my gosh. Nick, could you do all of this without your parents? No, but my parents weren't going to fight me on it. Yeah. Um, and I just said, no, I can't do it. I won't. I will not accept a heart. If a heart comes available, um, I, I won't do it. <clears throat> the, the amazing thing is they, uh, I had to check myself out of the hospital, um, AMA against medical advice to be able to pull myself off the transplant list. Um, but they literally reeled me around the corner and put me in a different bed. And one of my nurses came in on her shift off and hung out with me for two days while I Aww. technically wasn't checked into the hospital, but slept in the hospital. What a kind nurse. And uh, 12 hours after doing that, um, a heart came available. No. And Molly got that transplant. She graduated from college. She got married. I was, I spoke at her wedding. Um, and then a decade later, um, of the 14 people that I had met waiting for transplant, um, Molly passed away waiting for a second heart transplant um, down at the Mayo Clinic. Um, and she was the 14th person. That, mm -hmm. that was the 14th funeral that I had been to. And so at that time, I was out of everybody I was the only person still alive. Mm. And I just did not handle that well at all, mm. quite quite frankly. And um it was it was really tough. Mm. But it was really something that I had not fully dealt with. Um for for almost you know a decade and um it it became very very challenging 
for me. Um, I was married at that time to my first wife and um, didn't want, quite frankly, did not want to have children, did not want uh, to be a father because um, I was so convinced that I wasn't going uh, to be there to, to actually raise a child mm. um, that I didn't want uh, a child. And uh, that that marriage, oddly enough, did not last. <laughs> and uh, And so I was convinced from about age 20 to about age 30 that I just wasn't, I wasn't going to be a parent. I was never going uh, to be a dad. Mm. And, and I had kind of settled in on that. Um, I, I met Bet um, a year after my divorce where I did what every single divorced guy does. And that is, a hundred percent promise and swear that you're never going to get married again. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I met bet my, a friend of ours, um, introduced us to each other. And, uh, the first night I met bet, um, I, I went up to the bar to get a drink and sat next to bet and talked to her for the next six hours. Oh my gosh. Six hours, what were you, day drinking? Uh, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and- uh, Was that it? I mean, were you like, dang yeah. it, I'm back, oh. I'm back in it. And uh, it was it was funny. I <clears throat> bet was interning for uh, a lobbyist and I was in the legislature then, I was, in the House of Representatives, and um, I grabbed her phone, and I said, you're new at the Capitol, you'll talk to a ton of folks, uh, you'll ask people about me, and they'll all give you their opinion, and I said, so let's go out two weeks, and uh, picked a date, and I said, if in two weeks you don't think I'm a terrible person and you're still wanna... <laughs> I, I see you censored yourself there <laughs> and you still want to go out um let's grab let's grab dessert in two weeks and uh and so about 12 days later I gave her a call and I said do you still want to do dessert and like a sucker she said yes <laughs> and uh she came up to Elk River and we went to a little restaurant in town and had had dessert and a bottle of wine and she didn't go home for three days. <laughs> what? Does her mother know that? Uh, we, <laughs> a month later, we went to Mexico and we were on the airplane and she said, I have to call my sister and tell her that I'm flying out of the country because uh, someone needs to know that you're taking me out of the country. <laughs> what a whirlwind romance. Then we got married. <laughs> and and that's not your your total family. So at what point did and had your thoughts on 
parenting changed at all throughout this? Or had you told Bet that you didn't want to be a dad? Or when did that conversation come into play? You know, for for me, um, I when I went when I got divorced, um, we saw um, a like relationship counselor, marriage mm-hmm. counselor person, mm-hmm. and and from that, <clears throat> um, I went on to to see um, um, an actual psychologist, an actual therapist, and uh, and did a lot of of one on one kind of counseling, kind of digging into um, my, my childhood mm-hmm. and, um, really healed a lot that I had not done, uh, previously. And so <clears throat> when, when Beth and I got together and, and then, um, I became a father, um, for me, that part of my life, um, almost seemed like ancient history. Mm. And I was just so ready and so excited uh, for for Jackson. And it turns out it's a good thing I am because that kid has so much freaking energy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, geez, Louise. What is he, six now? So he'll be six in June. Okay. Um, he has hockey three nights a week. What? What is this? High school? <laughs> it's Elk River. <laughs> <laughs> and uh no, it's <clears throat> he's in kindergarten. He's done like it's hilarious because he's like the 99th percentile. So he's a full head and shoulders taller than everybody in his class and he's just a moose. <laughs> Big boy. Takes after his his uncles then. Yes, yes, not his father for sure. <laughs> That's awesome. It's it's incredible. It's 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 the greatest thing ever. Do you still have those feelings of being scared that you won't yeah. be there? Yeah. Well, of course. And how do you what, how do you manage that? What do you do? So. <clears throat> I was born with tricuspid atresia, just no tricuspid valve, which means um, that in the development of your right ventricle doesn't form in, in your heart. Okay. Um, so I was born with a three-chambered heart instead of a four-chambered heart. Um, I am the oldest living patient with the surgeries that I've had uh, alive wow. in the world. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, listen, I'm not going to be 90, uh, and, and that is what it is. Um, but, um, my, my son is the most incredible young man I've ever met. Mm. And, And this is at age five Mm -hmm. um and for the time that i do have to be his father um my job is to make sure that he continues to be the most incredible man that that i've ever met 
And between me and my brothers and my folks and my incredible wife, his mom, um, I know that no matter what happens, um, that kid is going to be so taken care of mm. and so loved and provided every opportunity in this world uh, to make a difference. And the idea that someone that wasn't supposed to live past seven got to be a part of bringing him into this world is is pretty incredible. And uh, it it makes me the proudest I've, I've ever been in my whole life. We'll be back after a short break. Now back to Parenting with your host, Kelsey Higgins. Your son is obviously amazing. Every, every parent thinks that, of course. <laughs> but Nick, what do you think is the most challenging part of being a dad? Well, he's insane. <laughs> <laughs> He's a daredevil. He's he's a wild man. I I you know quite frankly the toughest thing for me is in all honesty is I don't have the energy required to to keep up with him. Sure. He is incredibly uh energetic and just bouncing off the walls and so um it, it's it's not fair in that I I play fetch kind of like you would with a dog. <laughs> like I'll throw the ball and I'm like, you go get it. Um, <laughs> but uh, he the he he's such a good boy. We're so lucky. But the the energy level is I I cannot compete with that. Mm-hmm. Um, we did all get we got new bikes. Um, and so there's a really nice trail system north of Elk River, and it's an old railroad bed, so it's all perfectly flat and paved. And um, so we bike a lot; that we try to wear them out that way. Um, but uh, it's it's fun; it's so much fun. But yeah, no, he's the energy level is incredible. We went; we took him to Sky Zone, the trampoline park. Sure, yesterday. yeah. And that was our first time there. That was insane. And you'll you'll be back. We're going to do his uh, his sixth birthday party in a couple of weeks. We did a trial run yesterday. We're going to do his birthday party there in a few weeks. I bet he's just jacked. Yeah. Oh gosh, he's so excited. <laughs> I think it can be tough for parents with um out congenital heart defects to keep up with the energy of their kids. So I can appreciate that that would be a challenging aspect for you. He's nonstop. So it's good though. It's, it's fun. Let's talk a little bit about your career because you, you have had a a very cool, interesting career. First off, let me ask this. How does it feel to have somebody be able to Google so much information about you. <laughs> Good and bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's kind of, it's, it's gotta be kind of strange, right? Well, that's so Beth and I started dating and, uh, and Beth didn't tell uh, her sister, Erin, um, 
who she was dating other than it was she was dating a member of the House of Representatives. Well, then uh, Beth's sister said, well, there's only two that aren't <laughs> married. And I, so it's this guy or this guy, and they're way too old for you. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that's how I found out on Google I was still married. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, my father was the police chief in Elk River. And um, I, I, I grew up going to city council meetings with my dad. Mm. And so I, and I just loved it. I just absolutely loved it. And so when I was 25, I got elected uh, to the Elk River City Council. Um, and I did that for six years. Um, and then there was an open uh, seat in the legislature in the House of Representatives. And so when I was 30, I ran for that, got elected when I was 31. And I served in the House for four terms. Wow. Um, it was cool. I did. I, I focused mainly on um, health and human service issues. And and my goal when I served in the House, my goal was to bring the perspective of um, a patient mm, sure. uh, to, to that role. And I mean, tr- trust me, the hospitals, the doctors, the nurses, the insurance companies, they all have plenty of representation at, mm-hmm. at the Capitol. Mm-hmm. There's plenty of lobbyists for all of them. And so my goal was to have the voice of the, the patient trying to navigate that, that system. Sure. And it was, it was fun. It was interesting. Um, it was unbelievably challenging. Um, the, the amount of information that <clears throat> you're required to pick up on and learn and study and from just, I mean, you'd have a 15 minute meeting about the bird flu and then you'd have a 15 minute meeting about um, a, a child and their rare genetic disorder and, and what their parents are trying to get done. And then you'd have a 15 minute meeting on the transportation project you're trying to get done in your district. Mm. And then another 15 minute meeting about school funding. I mean, it's the breadth of information that you had to take in on, on a daily basis was it was truly overwhelming. It was it was really mm-hmm. something. Fifteen minutes is hardly enough for introductions and in, in my meetings that, that I'm in. That's why I know I know I know your your whole day is broken down into fifteen minute increments, and you have a little staff person that will come in at minute thirteen and start pushing people out the door so they can get the next group in. It it's wild. Wow, wow. I think about what you were doing at 25 and compare it to what I was doing. And I am very impressed with, with everything that you had going on at 25 being on city council. That's, that's wild. Is that young or would, is that standard? No, I was super, I was super young. People, I mean, I would door knock and people would laugh. <laughs> like, we're not going to elect a kid to the city council. 
Um, <clears throat> yeah, at 25 years old, I ran the Anoka County Sheriff's Office Crime Lab um, and was the lead crime scene person. I had three homicides that year that I worked the lead on, and then I ran for office that year. Okay, that's a whole nother layer of interesting tell me about that what was what was your role were you actually like on site yeah i'm a fingerprint examiner by by training that's um i graduated the degree in biology and forensic science i went to the fbi fingerprint school um and so i'm a i I can that's my if i ever went back to work my my real job was as a fingerprint examiner. And so um, I lifted fingerprints off of crime scenes and um, off of evidence and then compared uh, fingerprints to bad guy fingerprints and went to court. And um, But then I um, <clears throat> went to the BCA, the Bureau of Criminal Apprehension, does uh, a, a series called Homicide School, <laughs> which, which I attended for three years um, wow. To teach you how to do crime scene investigations. Um, and so, yeah, so I, would, I did blood spatter um, and I did bullet uh, trajectory um, and, and crime scene reconstruction uh, for the sheriff's office. And so in my, <clears throat> in my six years at the sheriff's office, I was the primary uh, crime scene person for 12 homicides. Wow. That I worked and then went, you know, all the way through trial and testified in court and um, as a, as a crime scene expert, a fingerprint expert or a trajectory expert. And So at um, what point did you become interested in that and say, oh, I think this is what I'm going to go to school for? Well, the, the funny thing is my dad was a, a police chief here in Elk River. My brothers are both in law enforcement, brother Dave is a sergeant at the Burnsville Police Department. My brother Tom is a captain at the Sherburne County Sheriff's Office. Mm. I have half a heart. I was never going to be a cop. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to I had to go the nerd way and and do it, <laughs> and, and do it through the lab. Um, and so I was about 10 years old. And my one of my dad's police officers, uh, Kim Peterson, um, she was married to an Anoka County crime scene deputy, Mark Peterson. And so at about 10 years old, my dad connected me with Mark. And uh, about once a year, I'd go and hang out with him for about a week. And then when I was um, a sophomore in college, I interned at the crime lab with him for a summer. And then I just never left. And then uh the year I graduated from college, they hired me, and yeah, I wow. was at the Noah County Sheriff's Office, worked my way up, and... Do you miss that part of your career? You, you know, I... The stories... I mean, it's just... It's a whole other world, so mm. the stories are just in, insane. I mean, just the people you deal with in, in that line of work, you're... You're, you're dealing with oftentimes some of the worst people you've ever met in your life or just the saddest stories you've ever heard in your life. Mm. And often it's the same people. <laughs> and mm. um, 
You know, I mean, I, I worked 12, 12 homicides and 11 of them were directly connected to methamphetamines. Um, oh. the, the victim or the suspect or both were, were, were on meth. And um, you just you, you catch people at the, the worst moments of, of their life. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, so it's, it's the, the homicide part was interesting. The, the challenging thing is you would do a five week rotation where the fifth week you were on 4 p.m. to midnight and then you were on call from midnight to seven in the morning. And, and so that fifth week, you would go to every fatal motor vehicle accident in the county, every suspicious death, every suicide, every. Um, and so in, in a span of five years, I was at about 400 and some death scenes. Holy smokes. And it just. For it, it wasn't sustainable for mm. for me. Um, that just, it, I wasn't going to make a career out of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was not able to successfully detach. Mm. Um, I, uh, I worked a, a horrendous, uh, accidental death scene at a daycare oh. where, um, the the piece of furniture that the television was on was too small for the television in a ginormous 60 inch flat screen TV toppled over on top of a 18 month old. And so I spent the next six hours reconstructing the crime scene and measuring stuff and positioning the child and um, it's, it wasn't for me. Mm. It, I, that was the last one I did. And then I quit. Mm. I, but I can't imagine. It, it was tough. It was, a, it was a tough, it was an unbelievable rewarding job. The first, the first fingerprint I ever identified, mm. um, in the real world was off of a piece of duct tape, uh, from a sexual assault. And I went to court and testified and we sent that person to prison. Oh, awesome. Um, and the, the, the woman that was the victim um, just gave me the biggest hug afterwards. And, you know, so there was things like that, that, that made it worth it, but it was, it was a tough job. It was a really tough job. What was the most rewarding aspect about your time in the house? Well, I think <clears throat> I <clears throat> I loved every minute of it. I I loved every minute of of being in the House of Representatives. It it was just an unbelievable, incredible honor. You'd walk in to the chamber uh, there and less than a thousand people have ever served in the Minnesota house mm. um, in, in statehood. And so to be there 
and, and be in those seats and at those desks and um, to really know that, you know, you've been sent there by your community uh, to, to make a difference. And um, it, it was really in, incredible. Um, I did a bill um, called the Right to Try Act, um, <clears throat> where we changed uh, a piece in state law that interacted with the FDA um, to allow, if, if you are diagnosed with a terminal illness, but there was an experimental treatment working its way through the Food and Drug Administration, mm -hmm. um, it gave those patients the right to try that experimental treatment. Oh, yeah. Um, how how personal that is to you too. Yes. And so and so we got that done in Minnesota. Um, we were one of the first states to get that passed. Um, and it passed um in like 30 some states in the next two years. And in one of the states that it passed pretty early on in was Indiana. And Mike Pence was the governor of Indiana at the time when it passed. And so then when he became vice president, um, he got the Trump administration kind of keyed into the idea. And so um, I'm, I'm minding my own business watching the State of the Union speech. And all of a sudden, President Donald Trump in his State of the Union speech is talking about the right to try. Oh, wow. And um, they, the next year they passed it in the U.S. Congress. Um, and the White House had me fly out uh, to be a guest uh, when they signed it into law, the federal law. And so I, I met Donald Trump. He's as insane as he looks on TV. <laughs> <laughs> and this is coming from a Republican, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, he's, <laughs> he's a great Republican. He's insane, but he's a great Republican. <laughs> um, no, it's it's so funny. He, I'll, I'll tell you what, though. <clears throat> They're just like all those guys. There is an instant uh, charisma that in, in meeting him that cannot be denied. It's mm -hmm. incredible. Mm -hmm. um, but then he started giving his speech and he went off script and yeah, he was a nutball. Was like, <laughs> you know, I'm sitting there, I'm like six feet away from him. I was like, oh my God, read your script. Don't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it was, it was incredible. And um, I have since... Um, met uh, about a half dozen families um, and, and I've had a few where they just came up to me and they said you passed this bill I took this medication and I'm alive because of it wow um, can't beat that and so it was pretty it was an incredible uh, a, a, just a truly incredible experience to be able to work on that on that issue so uh, all that being said, congratulations on, on all your success. 
you decided to leave the house before before time was up, right? Yep. Tell me about that decision. For me, it was it was time. Um, I uh, I needed to be a dad and 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 be at home more. Um, and and quite frankly, I needed to go to work. Um, I I didn't work full time uh, when I was in the legislature, um, mainly because the the job just requires so much of you. Even when you're not in session, um, there's not a three day or four day span where you don't have multiple things going on that you need to attend to. Okay. Um, it is very much designed for wealthy people, for retired people, or for younger people. Mm-hmm. Um, it is not designed for mid-career parents. Interesting. Um, and so in order to do the job well, I couldn't be a great dad and I couldn't make enough money um, to, to raise a family. And so I wasn't going to half-ass that job. And I certainly wasn't going to continue to shortchange uh, Bet and Jack. Mm. And so it, it was time to, to do something else. And uh, <clears throat> so for me, I went to work uh, in a law firm in St. Paul, where I do government affairs work. So I still work on the issues that I care about. I'm still at the Capitol quite a bit. Um, it's just, I get to go home at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, and and so that works out well. It's really interesting to hear you talk about that, Nick, because I feel like we typically don't hear about men t- trying to juggle their home and career responsibilities as much as we hear women talking about that. Yeah. So it's interesting to, to hear you talk about that and making it a priority. Does that have, I mean, do do you think that's because of the priorities and the value you've put on things? I, I, I definitely think so. I mean, for me, this is my time. This is my time to be with Jack this is my time to, to be with my family. And um, I, I have to make the most of it. And, and so for me, that means, um, that means my guy is number one. Hmm. And, and uh, you know, I might run for office again at, at some point years down the road. I might hop back in. Um, you know, maybe at a local level or a county level or something, but you make it sound so cash. Just hop right back in. <laughs> yeah, my wife would stab me in the throat if I said that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh but but for now, um my job number number one now is to be an awesome dad. And so that's what I try to do now. And uh I am very fortunate. I mean my job now is is unbelievably uh, flexible, and so I mean I, I, I'm here and I put Jack on the bus every day, and I pick Jack up from school 
almost every day. Wow. Um, and so I, I, I'm very, very lucky that in, uh, even in job in downtown St. Paul, um, that can be pretty intense at times. Um, we have a law firm that um, 100% allows you uh, to prioritize your family. And, and I'm very, very lucky uh, to be in that position. Yeah, it's certainly a blessing for sure. Nick, this has been a very interesting conversation. You, I feel like I want to sit down and have a beer with you. You just are such an interesting person. Come on up to Elk River. We'll cocktail tonight. <laughs> I'll make my way up there. The the gals have been telling me to get my butt up there for a while now. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Is there anything that I didn't ask Nick or that you wanted to talk about that we haven't? Um, you know, I don't know that it's something I want to talk about or that you didn't ask her. I just for I am continuously stunned at just kind of the way life works out. Mm. Um, and, and things kind of happen that just kind of are supposed to happen. And, um, you know, through some of the toughest parts of my life, um, have either taught me so much or experiences that I bring with me through the rest of my life, or, it's like that experience is exactly what needed to happen uh, to bring back, you know, bring forward some of the biggest blessings mm. of of my life. And so I just, I don't know, I'm I'm a heck of a lucky guy, oh. and uh, and I'm I'm pretty excited that this gets to be my life. Well, I I would say it's a case of you know put good in to the world and you get good out of it. So I think it's probably a, a little bit of a testament to, you know, you as an individual as well. Well, Bet keeps putting up with me, so can't, <laughs> can't be too bad. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Well, Nick, it's been a pleasure speaking with you and I'm so glad you decided to join us. Yeah, this was great. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, my pleasure. And to all the listeners, thank you for joining as well. I invite you to tune in again next week for another insightful conversation. And if you haven't already done so, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. See you next time.